You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. We have a very large night shift that's going to be working on this fire, so we're working 24 hours a day. An extraordinary situation in the Peace region. Aggressive wildfire behavior coupled with unprecedented drought conditions. Crews trying to determine which way the fires will go next. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The situation in northeastern BC is where we begin tonight. Thousands of people are packed and ready to go at a moment's notice. But as Richard Zussman shows us, a shift in the wind today combined with lower temperatures is giving wildfire crews a chance to regroup and reorganize their plan of attack. It's a community on evacuation alert. More than 21,000 people in Fort St. John preparing to leave at a moment's notice if fire arrives. We are still seeing unseasonably hot and dry conditions and we are still seeing fire behavior that is very aggressive. A shift in winds has pushed the fire away from Fort St. John, creating a bit of a reprieve. We're in better shape today than we were yesterday, certainly now that we have um, hunkered down and made it through that, that extreme uh, wind event. But forecasts show the mercury rising again with another potential wind shift. Due to the fires, work at the Sightsee Dam was suspended, but is set to resume on Tuesday evening. The fires of note are primarily in the northeast part of this province. The Stoddart Creek and Red Creek fires are out of control and highly visible near Fort St. John. North of that, the Donny Creek fire is out of control as well. When this ridge of high pressure that's causing this heat across the province, when it breaks down, that is the day that we, we will be paying close attention to and I encourage the public to pay close attention to. It's hard to forecast right now whether it will come with lightning. The forecasts show this heat wave is expected to peter off across the province by the end of the week. And the temperatures are expected to get closer to seasonal. The big question is what will recovery from these fires look like and what sort of rain is in the forecast? June is the key month. If, uh, if rain comes in, the, in June, then that will impact what the fire season in July, August and, and September is like. British Columbia sent one structure protection crew to Alberta to help with ongoing fires in that province. But the crew will return home soon and ready to go out again here by Monday. Those in Fort St. John preparing to help if needed. If uh, there's a need for us to be called on to, uh, to serve with feeding people or uh, providing any additional services uh, that uh, we uh, make ourselves available for that. Keeping one eye on the fire line and the other eye on the unpredictable temperatures. Richard Zospin, Global News, Victoria. And here's the other threat. Flooding is the primary concern in northwestern BC. An evacuation alert for the communities of New Remo and Old Remo just outside Terrace has been upgraded to an evacuation order. And that order applies to about 90 properties on the north and south banks of the Skeena River which is running extremely high right now. All residents under the order are being told to leave their homes immediately. Upstream, the community of Osk remains under an evacuation alert, and the flood danger is high through much of the Skeena Bulkley watershed. Well, the timing could hardly be worse. Just ahead of the May long weekend and the kickoff of the busy summer travel season, labor action could ground all WestJet and Swoop flights. The airline's pilots could be out of the cockpit and onto the picket line as early as Friday morning. Our Grace Key is live tonight at YVR. Grace's strike, of course, will affect travel plans for thousands of people.
Yeah, we spoke with some passengers here at YVR who are just starting out with their travel plans, and they are, of course, bracing, knowing that they could be scrambling with some last-minute changes. WestJet passengers at Vancouver International Airport are bracing for a major disruption in their travel plans. With news, pilots have issued a 72-hour strike notice. So, yeah, it's uh, sort of throwing my plans in the air a little bit, but uh, you got to adapt and, you know, what do you do, right? And of course, Saturday morning, uh, I have a, an afternoon flight, so hopefully if, if I know by morning, then I can start trying to figure out what I'm going to do before I actually have to leave my hotel. We did talk to WestJet and they said that there were contingencies for getting back, so we have no problem today and we're hoping that they've something arranged for, for coming home. Job action could start on Friday, just in time for the May long weekend. In response, the airline issued a lockout notice to WestJet and Swoop pilots. Pay and scheduling continue to be the top issues, with WestJet Group saying its offer would make its pilots the highest paid in Canada for narrow-body planes. It's still about a 45% discount to be a Canadian pilot. We fly the same planes, the same routes. Uh, we go to the same airports. Uh, but we just do it for 45% less. We understand that's a large gap. We are not looking to close that gap. We are looking to narrow that gap. WestJet is providing some flexibility. If you're traveling between May 15 to the 21st, the airline is letting passengers change or cancel flights for free. If it were me and I had an imminent flight booked, especially if it was connecting to something that was expensive, like a tour or a cruise, or I had to get to a wedding, I might take that refund and book myself on an airline that I knew I was going to be flying on. Passengers may have to move quickly as many will be in the same position, all scrambling to find a flight. I looked online uh, at uh, just frequency of flights from Calgary to Vancouver on Saturday. Um, few, but if they go on strike, there's going to be everybody trying to get a flight. Well, meanwhile, Flair Airlines announced that it's going to be adding some extra flights starting on Friday between Vancouver, Edmonton and Calgary in anticipation for this possible job action. So these, some of these flights did go on sale last night and they were starting at $99. Back to you. All right. Thanks for that. Grace Key at YVR for us. The man accused of ramming his vehicle into a police cruiser and was then shot by another officer has now been charged. Early Friday morning, an SUV rammed a police cruiser parked outside the Duncan RCMP detachment. One officer was hurt and another officer fired a single shot at the suspect. The injured officer and the suspect were taken to hospital for treatment. London Taylor Howard has now been charged with one count of assaulting a peace officer with a weapon and is facing assault charges for another incident in Esquimalt earlier that same morning. The RCMP and IIO continue to investigate the incident. Well, Ottawa has come through with long-awaited bail reforms aimed at repeat violent offenders. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this. And Keith, it's pretty much exactly what the province was looking for. Yeah, B.C., Ontario, right across the board. This is basically a home run by, hit by the provinces. They got exactly what they wanted from uh, federal officials. This follows, of course, meetings a couple months ago between provincial justice officials and Ottawa ones. And it didn't look like Ottawa was necessarily going to come through. They sort of said there's no story here, but now they have come through. Here's the amendments to the criminal code announced today by federal officials. There's now going to be a new reverse onus targeting repeat violent offenders involving weapons. They have to show cause why they should be released rather than the, re the reverse. 
Expand list of firearm offenses that trigger a reverse onus. Broaden the existing reverse onus that exists for uh, intimate partner violence on more than one occasion. And require courts, and this is a key one, require courts to consider an accused person's history of violent convictions when it comes to whether or not they get bail or not. Uh, Public Safety Minister Marco Mendocino making the announcement in Ottawa today. And we'll hear from him. And obviously a very pleased Premier David Eby. The bail reform legislation we've just tabled in the House of Commons zeroes in on repeat violent offenders who use guns and other weapons. With this proposed law, the onus will now be on them to justify to a court why they shouldn't remain in custody as they wait for a trial. It addresses many of the concerns that has been raised, have been raised by British Columbia and by other premiers across Canada. And at this point, uh, our message to the federal government, uh, to all parties and to the Senate, uh, is that it is imperative uh, that this pass in this legislative session. Yeah, and that's a key point made by the Premier. This session ends next month. Things move a little much slower in the House of Commons than they do in provincial legislatures. There's committees, and you heard the Premier mention the Senate as well. So no, not entirely clear, clear yet exactly when these provisions will take effect. Changing the criminal code doesn't happen every day. It can be a complex process, but hopefully we'll see some action sometime this summer. Sooner the better for a lot of people in this case. Thanks, Keith. Yeah. Well, our story about government-issued safe supply drugs reportedly making their way onto the streets to be sold or traded for other drugs sparked a rather lively exchange on Parliament Hill today. Yeah, safe supply advocates say it's a rare occurrence, but as Paul Johnson reports, the opposition believes Global's investigation helps prove the program isn't working. Last week... We hit the streets of Vancouver to see if we could confirm a claim that government-supplied opioids intended for the safe supply program were being diverted for resale. We were able to buy 26 Dilaudid tablets in about half an hour. The price? About a buck a pill. If that got your attention, you weren't alone. One global news reporter went into the street to find out where all these drugs are going. Turns out they're being resold to other addicts in order to raise the money to buy deadly fentanyl. We cannot allow the Conservatives to take us back to the fa failed ideology of the past. Even Harper's advisor Ben Perrin thinks they're speaking nonsense. So just stop it and save lives. And there is evidence that some lives are being saved. Global News spoke with two recovering addicts who said they've been on safe supply and that it stopped or lowered their use of street drugs. But is that victory coming at the expense of diverted pills potentially harming others? We asked BC's Minister of Mental Health if the province currently has any surveillance program to track diverted opioids. Here's what she said. First, I would say that any uh, substance purchased, uh, uh, illicit substance pur purchased uh, on the street is, should be tested. Uh, it's not necessarily safe for consumption. Minister Whiteside said information they've gotten from doctors, chiefs of police and the coroner tells them there have been no deaths and no spike in drug use connected to diverted drugs. While politically explosive, the presence of cheap government opioids on the streets is not so far triggering more oversight or modification of the safe supply program. Paul Johnson, Global News. 
Well, the latest twist in the ongoing saga of Surrey policing involves non-disclosure agreements. As Catherine Urquhart reports, wrangling over an NDA is apparently delaying a decision on who will police the city. It has been nearly three weeks since the provincial government released a 500-page report which recommended continuing transition to Surrey Police Service. The unredacted version of that critical report remains tightly guarded. Mayor and council still haven't signed a non-disclosure agreement which would allow them access. Well, the, the original uh, non-disclosure agreement was absolutely uh, untenable for the city and uh, was something we would not consider. BC's public safety minister says lawyers for the province and city of Surrey continue to discuss details of the NDA. I have thought that the, uh, the city might have been able to receive the, the unredacted report uh, a week ago uh, today. It all means that a final decision on keeping the RCMP or moving forward with SPS remains undetermined. Obviously this uncertainty does cause um, a lack, a bit of morale, both for our police officers, but also for our CMP members. And I think Surrey residents, businesses, and all police officers in the city want a decision and want to be able to move forward. Surrey's mayor wants to keep the Mounties. Doing so could be challenging. Conditions include that Surrey is not allowed to take RCMP officers from other places in the province, including RCMP detachments. The RCMP must be able to provide 270-plus officers for rural RCMP detachments before placing officers in Surrey and must provide updated transition costs. Oh, I think it's absolutely uh, the RCMP are staying in the city of Surrey. There's no doubt about that. If the city opts for SPS, the province says it will cost $30 million a year to make up the extra financial costs between forces. Until then, the coffers remain closed. Let's put it this way. If they sign the disclosure agreement today, they get the report today. So the delays continue. This policing battle still unresolved. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. If you're a renter and you face eviction, you are definitely not alone. New data shows one in 10 British Columbians face the prospect of losing their homes. And as Krista Dow reports, in the vast majority of cases, renters are being forced out through no fault of their own. Among this group of friends, half have either been evicted or are facing the prospect. The townhouse complex that we live in now, actually, my family's been in the complex for 30 years and we just got notice maybe two years ago that they're redeveloping. So they're tearing down and we'll have to leave. I lived in Whistler and um, I was renting a room and then they evicted me for personal use of the property. Between 2016 and 2021, researchers found more than 10% of B.C. renters reported being evicted. Of that group, 85% reported being evicted through no fault of their own, meaning for the landlord's own purposes to sell the property or for demolition or repairs. And British Columbians were 30% more likely than other Canadians to experience no-fault evictions. But the fact that so many respondents reported that uh, this has got nothing to do with me, uh, it, it tells me that you know, it's, it's, BC can be a hard place to be a renter. Something Jones knows all too well. Ten years ago, the researcher himself was evicted twice within a four-year period. He's now in stable housing but says more needs to be done. Uh, really feeling like uh, you know, 
that maybe maybe the city wasn't a place I could make a life. Something is different about BC. If we want to not be different uh, in this regard, uh, we need to start looking at those interventions. Meantime, Courtney Labossier considers herself lucky paying $2,300 for a small two-bedroom in Kitsilano. Yeah, like we, we're not planning on ever buying a place, especially in Vancouver. Like if anything, my family's in Manitoba, I might be able to buy a property there. Like many others, she's resigned to renting forever, praying the next eviction notice never arrives. Krista Dow, Global News. A huge loss for a local bike shop targeted by thieves. Bungling criminals attempt to break in that was caught on camera. That was next. That's next on the News Hour. Unstable slope. How falling rocks are slowing traffic on a critical route through the Okanagan. And a view of the ocean you've never seen before. The network of cameras helping to keep marine traffic safe. That's still to come tonight. Right now, though, security video has captured just how brazen thieves have become in Vancouver. A Kitsilano e-scooter and bike shop targeted by some very determined but thankfully unsuccessful burglars. And while they didn't end up getting anything, the damage they caused will shut down the business at its busiest time of year. Janet Brown has the story. This is what happened at 4 in the morning Monday at Urban Makina e-scooter and bike shop in Kitsilano. They drove it in so hard that, you know, the concrete split. There were a couple more people that tried to manually open the gate. And when they realized they couldn't do it, they tried to ram the car again. They didn't get into the shop because while smashing through the doors, the metal fence behind the glass prevented them from getting any further. It's cleaned up now, but glass was everywhere on our scooters, on the floor, outside. The shop's co-founder says while none of the e-scooters or bikes were stolen, they'll be out of business for some time. Summer is our peak season and it's, it's where a majority of our sales happen throughout the year. So to have to close for a month or two at this time, um, you know, it really hurts. Damage is estimated around $20,000 and the lost business about 50000 it's when we need to have enough inventory to supply to our customers. Um, and maybe those guys knew that at this time is when we have the most things in the store. So, you know, they pick the time where we would have the most scooters in the shop. Vancouver police say small business suffers a big hit when it comes to property crime. This is a small business. These are uh, just everyday people trying to earn a living here in the city. And to have this happen to them, of course, it's, it's so concerning. I think we've done pretty much all we can to make it as theft proof as possible. You mean like our alarm system, a security gate. I, I really couldn't think of anything else that we could have done to prevent it. Police say it is early in the investigation, and while there are witnesses, no suspects have been arrested. Janet Brown, Global News. Vancouver police have announced the results of their latest crackdown on violent shoplifters. In a two-week operation dubbed Project Barcode 2, undercover officers arrested 138 suspects and recovered almost $37,000 in stolen merchandise. 125 criminal charges are being recommended. 14 of those arrested are repeat offenders. Police worked closely with management, staff and security at stores right across the city. We do know that violent shoplifting is on the rise. That's something that has been happening throughout the city. We've actually had uh, two projects, Project Barcode. We've done that project twice now uh, in attempt to combat violent retail uh, crime. During the sweep, police also seized a dozen weapons, most of them knives. 
The trial of the man accused of killing a young teenage girl in Burnaby in 2017 has heard expert testimony on strangulation. A warning, some of the details in this story might be disturbing. Rumi Nadea reports. The cause of death, strangulation, in the opinion of forensic pathologist Dr. Jason Morin. But there were no finger marks. Morin testified the front of the teen's neck was red, but there was no evidence of injury on the outside or inside of the neck. Crown counsel trying to prove the accused, Ibrahim Ali, strangled the teenager to death in the course of sexually assaulting her. Ali has pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder. The girl's body, belongings, and other evidence discovered in Burnaby Central Park by police almost six years ago. Dr. Moran explained to the jury how strangulation can occur without any sign of injury. It's not common, but also not rare. In roughly 20% of strangulation cases studied in BC, there was no evidence of external injury. In this case, specifically, the major finding attributable to strangulation was the petechial hemorrhages, tiny red dots found in the face and eyes of the teen, said Morin, adding that petechia is seen in approximately 90-plus percentage of strangulation cases. The jury led through graphic autopsy photos once again. Dr. Morin describing injuries to the teen's vagina, anus and rectum. Injuries which occurred before death in his opinion. Sperm found inside the teen's vagina and rectum, testified Dr. Morin. The jury has heard Crown's theory as to what happened to the teen and how she died. But it will be some time before defense lawyers will have the opportunity to do the same. Defense is expected to cross-examine Dr. Morin Wednesday. Romina Dea, Global News. Coming up, reclaiming Stanley Park, the First Nation flag raising that's another step towards reconciliation. Plus... I was on the bench that day, and I, no one's come out to me to, to ask me what's happened to confirm details. Families angry. Their complaints about racism in hockey are being ignored. What they're doing to get noticed. Good evening. Crews are on scene to a crash involving a cyclist here in Burnaby, eastbound on Lougheed Highway just before Austin in the right lane. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $40 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a a group of hockey parents in Surrey are escalating their demands to address allegations of racism at a minor hockey game, which led to a coach being fired earlier this year. Tonight, after no contact or updates from investigators, the parents are taking their concerns directly to Hockey Canada. Krista Dow reports. It's been almost two weeks since parents spoke out about alleged racism during a Surrey minor hockey game. Assistant coach and hockey dad Justin Sason says nothing has been done. Someone's dragging their feet or our system is, is broken and needs to be looked at. Last week, parents penned a letter to Hockey Canada expressing their concerns, calling for policy changes to make hockey a more inclusive sport. There's no change being, being made. Education, uh, punishments, uh, something has to happen so that the number goes down. And it's got to be hockey's for everyone, right? And, and our kids right now, they don't feel like it is. BC Hockey says 65 maltreatment cases are under investigation, including some racially motivated cases but no exact number was provided. 
There's also no conclusion from a third-party investigation into claims Surrey players were called banana, monkey, and the N-word in February, an allegation the Ridge Meadows Hockey Association denies. We don't have any visibility into the investigation at all. We're not, we're completely arm's length. Um, we wait for them. Also awaiting answers from Hockey Canada is the Coquitlam mother of a teen who Global News isn't identifying, saying her son was assaulted and subject to racism last year. He was um, actually assaulted and called a brown piece of by this dad. And we never were once even spoken to by Hockey Canada. Like, for me, if you're doing an investigation, you should be speaking to all parties involved. She believes cases of on-ice racism are much higher than reported. Hockey Canada and all these associations need to get their act together. It's time to make a change. It's time to make hockey for everyone, for people that look like my son. It's terrible that nothing's been dealt with so far, right? They, they know that it's out there, right? They're getting all these reports and nothing has changed. Hockey Canada has not responded to our request for comment. Chris Dow, Global News. An historic event in Vancouver's Stanley Park today. Flags representing Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations have been raised in the area commonly known as Brockton Point, but known to First Nations as Papayuk. This is the first time flags of the local First Nations have been permanently raised in a Vancouver City Park. The Park Board says it's a step in reconciliation honoring those who lived on these lands. Right now the Park Board is in our truth-telling phase where we acknowledge the colonialism and the past that the Park Board played in the creation of Stanley Park, but more importantly, the removal of people from this land. By 1923, those living here were considered, and I'm going to use the word again, because we didn't know what the word was, as squatters. We became squatters in our own village. The three First Nations flags replaced the Canadian, British Columbian and Union Jack flags that were removed from Brockton Point back in 2017 due to aging infrastructure. Up ahead, keeping a watch on the West Coast. So this is a major opportunity in increasing the amount of data on the coastline. The web of cameras giving mariners a much better look at conditions out on the open ocean. Also ahead, game-changing regulations coming to casinos designed to help you play within your limits. Good evening. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, which is some leftover volume eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Well, on top of fires and floods, Okanagan residents are dealing with a landslide that shut down a major route. The slide came down on Highway 97 near Summerland, shutting down all four lanes and tumbling into the water below. Thankfully, no vehicles were caught in the slide. After a geotechnical assessment to ensure the slope was stable, crews began to clear the debris and managed to open the highway to single lane traffic only. No word at this point on when the entire highway will be cleared. The highway's ministry won't be updating the situation until Wednesday morning. 
Well, if you've ever traveled on the open water by sea, you know how fast weather conditions can change. Knowing how important it is to have as much information as possible before heading out on the water, a Victoria-based company is launching 360-degree cameras on a familiar floating object. Actually, hundreds of them. Kylie Stanton reports. Buoys like this one line the coasts of Canada, roughly 10,000 of them in total, aiding in the navigation of mariners. But now new technology is making it easier than ever before. Buoy Cam is a new module that we've just launched that takes 360 degree images um, and then presents that to mariners to determine if it's safe to pass in a certain area. Victoria-based Marine Labs has 16 beta testing locations up and running as part of a $1.1 million trial with the Canadian Coast Guard. Through the platform, subscribers select a buoy by clicking on the camera icon, where it will display the images from that location, updated every 15 minutes. That means that they can uh, see if it's foggy or not and what type of visibility. Can they see a landmark that they normally see in that camera view? Um, so that can really tie things together and, and make it more safe for marine operations. It builds on Marine Lab's coast-aware technology that harnesses real-time coastal and weather intelligence data through sensors positioned on buoys. It's captured wind and wave measurements during hurricanes, and back in November of 2020, it recorded the most extreme rogue wave in history. All of a sudden, it just kind of goes into a huge trough and then onto a peak. The added camera feature now being called a massive improvement for the industry. The better the information is, the, the, the better we can make the decisions to, to, to move vessels safely in our waters in Canada. But it will be up to the Coast Guard to determine what the additional value is once the year-long trial wraps up at the end of November. What Marine Labs offer is, is simple and it, it, it uses infrastructures that are already that are already deployed which is which is a first and with 10,000 locations to implement the technology marine labs believes the potential is as vast and powerful as the ocean itself there's a major opportunity in increasing the amount of data on the coastline Kylie Stanton Global News Victoria a program is being expanded at BC casinos to help support people who are dealing with a gambling problem. The Lotteries Corporation will be requiring everyone entering a BC casino this summer to provide government-issued photo ID. BCLC says it's to support those enrolled in their Game Break self-exclusion program. The identification will be scanned and checked against a database of people who are restricted from entering gambling facilities. An official implementation date will be announced in the coming weeks. And still ahead, BC's skateboarding pioneer. The skateboarding scene, it was me. How Monty Little brought an obscure sport to life back in the 1960s and how he's still going along for the ride. And Whistler Search and Rescue scrambles into action for a call on Wedge Mountain that turned out to be much different than they expected. All your local news all your breaking news all the news you need get it at six global news hour at six whistler search and rescue says a call out today can serve as instructive for all backcountry users rescuers were called to wedge mountain after a group of very experienced backcountry skiers found some partially buried gear including the signal from an avalanche beacon 
and thought maybe people had been buried in an avalanche there. The search and rescue crews quickly determined, though, that the equipment belonged to another less experienced group who had left it behind on the slope before calling for a rescue. It was very good that the uh, four experienced people called us because uh, we're able to now uh, put this matter to rest. If people are not familiar with avalanche terrain, they should not be going into those zones at all. They have to have the training and the equipment and, and, the, and the knowledge to go into this kind of terrain. Just because it's warm and sunny down here in the valley <clears throat> doesn't mean that it's not uh, still dangerous up in the mountains. Over the past winter, 12 people died in six separate avalanches around B.C. A lot of people being lured outside because of the beautiful weather we've been having. Let's find out uh, how much longer it lasts. Mark Rodrigo with us tonight. Mark? Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, similar to yesterday in the B.C. southern interior, where we're getting some lightning that's developed late this afternoon. That'll fizzle a little later tonight. Meanwhile, this is low cloud that really crept up late last night and some marine air into the lower mainland today, meaning it wasn't as hot this afternoon versus the last couple days, but still on the warm side for sure. It'll get up a little more tomorrow for temperature. Uh, some isolated thunderstorms across the southern interior again into early this evening. Then they'll fizzle and then they'll They'll redevelop likely tomorrow and once again right there on Thursday afternoon again just with daytime heating but as I look ahead into tomorrow for the northern half of the province still more sunshine of course extensive smoke in the central interior and especially the northeast southern interior again late day thunderstorms are possible tomorrow otherwise more heat and a mix of sun and cloud lots of sun for the south coast overall and a bit warmer tomorrow highs of 25 or so near the beaches up to 29 away from the water and then more heat on Thursday, Friday about the same, a little cooler Saturday, still mostly sunny. And then Sunday, I'm looking at uh, cooler air still with highs closer to 20 or 21. And that'll lead into the holiday Monday, even cooler at that time. So there is a trend toward that cooler air, as you see here in the Fraser Valley uh, Sunday and especially on Monday. All right, our weather window uh, for this evening. Thank you, Leslie in Lund. What a gorgeous shot. This was sunset last night. And here's a bonus shot from last night. I thought I'd bring in Western Washington, a beauty from Seattle where the lightning hit pretty hard. There you are. Did it ever. All right. Thanks, Mark. Amazing photos. All right. Uh, let's bring Squire in now for a look ahead to what's coming up in sports. Yeah, Seattle got knocked out of the Stanley Cup playoffs last night mm -hmm. down in Dallas. Speaking of Dallas, that's where the Whitecaps will be playing tomorrow. And they will have uh, striker Brian White back from a Charlie horse. Uh, the Bruce, the Charlie horse is loosened up, so ready to go on Wednesday. Yeah, he scored a couple of goals the last time he played for Vancouver before getting hurt, so maybe those two goals mean he's on a roll now. Also ahead tonight, the godfather of BC skateboarding, the huge influence of Monty Little, long before most had even heard of the sports. that come to play when BC needs to connect BC turns to the source that brings us together global news I tied my tie too tight you did yeah 
Are you so, okay? Can you well, let's put it this way. If I collapse in okay. the middle of this sports cast because of a lack of oxygen, mm -hmm. no need to give me mouth to mouth. Just loosen my tie. And Yesterday you normal. forgot it. Today it's like Today I went, I went too tight. Mm -hmm. It's good to it can, know. It can happen sometimes. Oh, Squire. I'll, 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 I'll fight through it. Uh, Vernon Adams went into uh, BC Lions training camp as the number one quarterback, but the Lions made sure they had another veteran who's backing him up who does have lots of experience as a starting quarterback, Dane Evans, who used to play for the Ticats. Now, he's good enough that he could be the number one guy in BC, and maybe he will sometime this year. Whatever the case, he is our quarterback for this show today with Jay and Camlins. Well, in the offseason, 29-year-old Dane Evans was acquired by the BC Lions from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I know you're excited to be here in BC, but let's all let everyone at home know that as soon as you were acquired by the BC Lions, you picked up the telephone and you, and you called somebody that's very familiar to football fans here. Who'd you call? Yep, so uh, my, my first call was VA, and then my second call was Nathan, uh, Nathan Rourke. Uh, uh, we, we talked throughout all last season, um, and then when I, had a, when I knew I was probably coming here, I kind of wanted to get a little inside info. And uh, yeah, Nathan hooked it up. He um, told me everything from how a practice week goes, um, how we prepare with Coach McSimmick, um, what to expect from the quarterback room, from the guys, from the defense. And uh, it was just really awesome that he was, he was able to, you know, kind of give me a sneak peek before I got here. And uh, I, I really owe that to him. You started 15 games for the Hamilton Tiger Cats last season. You threw for over 4,000 yards. Those are the numbers. But the other numbers, and I think the most important one, is your indigenous heritage. Yeah, um, I take extreme pride in it. Um, it's something that, um, you know, I really got into in college. Um, my great-grandma was the last speaker of our tribe's language. Um, I'm Wichita. That's the tribe I belong to. Um, and when she passed away in 2016, our language passed away, essentially. Um, we still have, like, recordings of her talking and stuff, and that's some things that's very special to me. It's things I'll play on my phone for my daughter, you know. It's just something she'll never get to see my grandma talk, but hearing it is one thing. And I just have always felt really connected out here. Um, I think it's just a really special place for Indigenous people. Um, I'm really excited to obviously get through camp and not be having to learn all the football stuff I'm learning right now, but to really get a, a chance to take a deep dive and see um, kind of some of the Indigenous stuff out here, get to go to some places that I've always really wanted to go to. And uh, I'm, I'm super fortunate that my wife and daughter are going to come up too. So uh, it's going to be a fun experience. Very, very cool. And one other thing that we should mention, Mentioned at the start of the interview, he's 29. He turns 30 on a very special day this year, and hopefully it'll be a day that the BC Lions are playing when. Tell everyone you turn 30. Yeah, oh yeah, we're going to be playing in it. Uh, it's the uh, Grey Cup in Hamilton on November 19th. Played on, the, uh, played on my birthday twice. Once in college, we won, and once in the East Final in 2019, and we won as well. So hopefully uh, third time's a charm. We can raise that cup up. Really appreciate you sharing your story. Good luck yeah. this season. I'm sure we'll try, chat all season long. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you, gentlemen. The Vancouver Whitecaps are on a very busy stretch right now. Four games in exactly two weeks, and tomorrow's game in Dallas is number three of four. Last Saturday, they were awful when they lost to Portland. That was like watching bad karaoke while sober. But there is some good news for the uh, Dallas game. Striker Brian White has recovered from a Charlie horse. He will be able to play in his last game. He did get a couple of goals before getting hurt. Yeah, no, Brian is very important for our way of playing. The fact that uh, he's the guy that normally up top uh, allows us to create space for our number 10 with those oldest run, allow our defense to breathe because he's very good at pressing. We missed him in Portland where we did the right choice not to force him playing there so he can be uh, at full regiment tomorrow. And 
Saturday in the big derby against Seattle. Defenseman Alex Kanek Leapert has signed a new one-year AHL contract to continue playing with the Canucks farm team in Abbotsford. He has developed into a fan favorite, not afraid to do whatever is asked of him, including throwing hands if necessary. He, of course, is a former captain with the Vancouver Giants. Well, you can think of France's Victor Wimbanyama as the Connor Bedard of this year's NBA draft. Everybody wants him. Some say he's the best prospect since LeBron James, and tonight, the San Antonio Spurs won the draft lottery, and they've had good luck when they picked first overall. They have drafted Hall of Famers Tim Duncan and David Robinson first overall in their history as well. And this guy, seven feet five inches tall, and it's not all dunks. No. He can hit the three, he can step back, he can block, he can pretty much do everything you want him to do, and he's only 19. So all the kids are talking about it. And I know I got a young boy who's all mad about basketball. and you know. Well, he's now a Spurs fan. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Thanks, Cora. Up next, an elder statesman skateboarder still showing off his skills in his 70s. That's next. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what they're working on for Global News at 11. Jordan. Chris, amid these dry conditions, a very concerning situation in Kamloops. An arsonist appears to be at work. And now police and the local fire department are warning residents to be on alert. There were five fires on the south shore of Kamloops last night and another on the north shore of Kamloops this morning. One was a grass fire. The rest in back alleys will have a description of the suspect at 11. Plus, air quality already a problem in cities like Prince George. Find out when the lower mainland could see a hazy sky. The latest smoke forecast at 11. Chris. Not missing that smoke at all. Yeah, Thanks sure. very much, Jordan. All right, his name is Monty Little, but his influence on skateboarding in B.C. is enormous, considered by many to be the godfather of the sport here. As Jay Durant shows us, and this is B.C., he helped get the skateboarding community on its wheels. And now, decades later, he's still along for the ride. I made something like this uh, when I was probably around 16 years old. Monty Little's original skateboard was nothing more than metal wheels screwed into a piece of wood with shag carpet for cushioning, made shortly after watching a film that changed his life. I saw this movie called Skater Dater, and I saw what skateboarding was all about. It was incredible. But there wasn't much of a buzz here when his family moved from Utah to Vancouver in 1965. The skateboarding scene, it was me. As the so-called fad grew in popularity, Monty's experience landed him jobs teaching newcomers how to safely ride on four wheels. And the next thing we knew, um, the Burnaby Y wanted us, the New Westminster Y, the Vancouver Y, and all of a sudden we got a telephone call from the Victoria Y on Vancouver Island. That's all the pros. The only pros are the Canadian pros. At Expo 86, he organized a world championship with prize money that featured top professionals and amateurs from more than a dozen countries, including a young Tony Hawk. Huge undertaking, we built it in the mall so all the family and friends of everybody got involved. The kids from Brazil stayed in our backyard in tents. That's Sealand Skateboard Park, the oldest skate park in Canada. Over the decades, he has helped design several parks and continued promoting skateboarding at every turn. Once again, his expertise was called upon to organize the Cloverdale Rodeo's World Roundup, now in its ninth year. You really want the world to come here? You don't want a demo, you want to run a contest, and I need 10,000 bucks. <laughs> I used the same formula. 
Back in his garage, Monty's working on a piece to show the evolution of skateboarding. This one here, if you hit a rock, it stopped dead. You know, this one, you just roll right over it. A little work of art spanning his six decades dedicated to a sport he helped grow from those very early days. It wasn't a fad at all, as we can see. In fact, skateboard parks, that's the common playground of, of all ages. All ages can enjoy that, not just young kids. Jay Durant, Global News. I want to try it. That looks so, <laughs> it's so much fun. It looks like so much fun. It's never, never been a skill I've had, though. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Thank you, Monty Little. For all you've done for skateboarding. Skateboarding is not a crime. Do you remember that? <laughs> I do remember that. That was a sign. Yeah. On a yeah. building going and downtown. And bumper stickers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everywhere. Well, I mean, now it's almost an Olympic sport, or, or it is an Olympic yeah, sport, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. X Games, it's an industry. Yeah. And it's mainstream. And like you said, it's not a fad. It's, it was real. It's, it's mainstream now. Yeah. It is. But they, I think it was just off Powell Street on a building. It said skateboarding, skateboarding is not, not a, crime. a crime. Yeah. Did you ever skateboard, Spire? Badly. <laughs> but I'm still here. <laughs> Glad you are. And thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.